I want to share for just a few minutes on living in divine partnership. How many of you are glad that we don't have to do this on our own? There was a, an interesting story that I read some years ago when one man was asked to fill out a group insurance form explaining the many injuries on which he was making a claim. And this is what he said. I'm writing in response to your request concerning block number one on the insurance form which asked for the cause of my injuries wherein I put down trying to do the job alone. You said you needed more information, so I trust that the following will be sufficient. I'm a bricklayer by trade, and on the day of my injuries, I was working alone, laying brick at the top of a four-story building when I realized that I had about 500 pounds of bricks left over. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to put them in a barrel and lower them by pulley, which was fastened to the top of the building. I secured the end of the rope at ground level, went down to the top of the building, loaded all of the bricks into the barrel, and then flung the barrel out with the bricks in it. Then I went down to the ground floor to untie the rope, holding it securely to ensure the slow descent of the barrel. As you will note in block number six of the insurance form, I weigh 150 pounds. Due to the shock of being jerked off the ground so swiftly, I lost my presence of mind and I forgot to let go of the rope. Between the second and third floors, I met the barrel coming down. That accounts for my bruises and lacerations on my upper body. Regaining my presence of mind again, I held tightly to the rope and proceeded rapidly up the side of the building, not stopping until my right hand was jammed into the pulley. This accounts for my broken thumb. Despite the pain, I retained my presence of mind and I held tightly to the rope. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom broke out of the bottom of the barrel. Devoid of any weight of the bricks, the barrel now weighed about 50 pounds. I refer you again to block number six in my weight. As you would guess, I began a rapid descent with my weight. Somewhere around the second floor, in the vicinity of the second floor, I met the barrel coming up. This explains the injuries to my legs and lower body. Slowed only slightly, I continued my descent, landing on the pile of bricks. Fortunately, my back is only sprained and the internal injuries were minimal. I'm sorry to report, however, at this moment in time, I lost my presence of mind and I let go of the rope. As you can imagine, the barrel came crashing down on me. I trust that this answers your question and please know that I am finished trying to do the job alone. I want you to know that in all of this that we are doing, we are not doing this job alone. We are not doing this job alone. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 is the theme for our capital campaign and says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a glorious future. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I pray that over these next few moments that what you desire to invest in us through your word, you would anoint in such a way that though each individual will hear the same word, it will be applied individually as you desire it within each of our lives. We are grateful for the joy that we have had in worshiping together and the joy of the plan of the prayer that is coming together. And now we ask that in these few moments you would deposit something eternal through your word in our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I've been asked several times, even after last week, people are, are enthusiastic and they're excited about what's happening and, and the wave of momentum that Grace Assembly is experiencing. And even today as I'm watching people set up rows and rows of, of white chairs back there, it, it is exciting to be in the middle of something that God is doing. Many of you have asked me, how long is it going to be before we're into our new buildings? Because if you look around, we needed these buildings like a year ago or more, but we are doing the best that we can. I want you to think for a moment, and I'm going to ask that you would take your books since I asked you last week to bring them with you every service, and I know that you are doing that, to pages 6 and 7, if you would please, as we refer to this. Because on the bottom of pages 6 and 7, it gives you a little bit of a history of the sacrifice that it has taken people to get us here. And as you look at the different buildings, starting in 1918 when we were on South Avenue and 1952 in West Onondaga Street, and then here we are at Fay Road that began in, in 1970, and then we see prophetically the next two buildings that we are about to move into, I want you to understand that all it would have taken is for one generation to say no, and the movement would have stopped. That's all it would have taken, one generation to say no, and everything stops. And here we are today, and we cannot take for granted the honor that God has given us to steward what He has done up to this point. He has placed trust in us. And it's not the plan of God for us to go backward or just to maintain or just to survive. Our time is now to see Grace Assembly continue to grow and move forward at what God wants you to do in our lives. I'm privileged to pastor this church. When I was 12 years old, I attended Central Assembly of God in Springfield, Missouri. My dad worked at our national headquarters building, and I took a Foundations of Faith class, and the room that I took it in at Central Assembly was called the Ralph Riggs Memorial Room. I had no idea who Ralph Riggs was. It wasn't until I came here to Grace Assembly that I recognized that Ralph Riggs was the first pastor of Grace Assembly, and from here became the general superintendent of the entire movement of the Assemblies of God a rich history this church has. I attended my first district council back in the, the early 1980s, and as I was having breakfast, there was a man that came up to me and sat down and looked at me, and he said, you look like a young man worth investing in. His name was Robert Canterbury. Didn't know it at the time, but he was another one of the men that had pastored this church and became a dear friend as he invested in me as a young man. Joseph Flower pastored this church later went on to be the district superintendent of the New York Ministry Network and also became the general secretary of the Assemblies of God in its entirety. We have a rich history. Every one of those leaders continued to say yes to the Lord. In fact, Joseph Flower's mother in her 90s taught my Pentecostal Foundations class at Evangel University. I remember the first time going into her class and she said, we don't have textbooks for this class. I'm going to tell you the stories of how this started because I have lived it. I can tell you that that 90-year-old woman kept every one of us students enthralled at the power of Pentecost at God, as God launched the Assemblies of God in 1914 and the things that took place. Folks, this is a significant church and we are a significant people, not because of who we are but because of the people that have gone before us that said yes, so that we would have this opportunity to say yes. I told you last week that we would be sharing stories with different ones, and, and as I'm looking out today, there are still so many of you I've not had a chance to meet. I hope that through these videos you can get to know some of the couples, but let me show you one for us today.
You want me to go? <laughs> Alright, so, hi everyone, I'm David Rubaha. I'm Angela. And we have three kids, Noelle, Jaden, and Blake. Noelle is 12, Jaden's 10, and Blake is 9. We've been to Grace the past year, but I also grew up in Grace, so from little to age 12 I was at Grace. So the very first time we came to Grace, um, <clears throat> I remember listening to Pastor Doug saying something about their kids and that they were on some sort of retreat or something like that. And it, it made me really excited to know how much they um, just put into their kids. And I loved that. And that I knew that was kind of confirmation right then and there that this is where we're supposed to be. When we saw all the kids and all the things that how much you invest in the kids. Yeah. Uh, that made us really fall in love with the church. Mm -hmm. The story is just incredible how we have been able to obtain not one but two buildings and I love the fact that the kids are going to have their own place to expand and just take over and... So fun fact, I actually grew up in that church, <laughs> the new building. Um, it was called PCA at the time. I have some pictures of me when I was like five running around in there holding a balloon. <laughs> Even the parking lot picture transformation was just shocking to see and just it makes me excited. I think it's important to just be generous like not only in your tithe, I mean obviously, but above and beyond because like that's where God blesses you. Like I know that we've, we, we have always just been so blessed. Um, with everything that, that God gives us. And I know that everything that he gives us is from him. And so, you know, we try to be generous. We try to give above and beyond in, you know, different ways um, because we know that that's how God is gonna um, bless others. I just think it's important to, you know, be at a church where people can just like build each other up and we're all like part of a family. I remember the very first time I met Pastor Doug. I met him and, and we were talking for a while and then at the end he said, welcome home. And it made me feel really special, like, yeah, this is, a, this is our home. We're the Rubajas, thank you for hearing our story. In Judges chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, I want to return back to the story of Gideon this morning. I started that last week. The Scripture says, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down the Midianites together. I want you to know, first of all, this morning that it's important for you to partner with the Lord in the strength that you have. Clearly, God was telling Gideon, a partnership requires the work of two people or more working together toward the same goal. I find it interesting that a few months ago, how many of you remember when, when the news of the lottery had reached, that I think twice it's reached a billion dollars? Any of you remember that? So I had two people, at least two people, come to me and say, Pastor... I'm going to play the lottery, and, and here's the deal. If I win, I will pay for this church. And I remember thinking, oh, God, how easy would that be? I like easy. You can't tell me you don't like easy. 
So I found myself for the first time in my life praying for somebody to win the lottery <laughs> in our church. I said, Lord, I don't know if this is right or not. I might even have prayed in the Spirit. If you want, I don't know it. Because <laughs> nobody came to talk to me about it. But I do remember thinking, everybody talks a generous game with resources that you don't have. Everybody talks a generous game with resources that you don't have. And so I love how God addresses this with Gideon. When his first instruction to Gideon was, start doing what I'm commanding you to do in the strength that you currently have. Don't wait for something more. Start doing something now with what you already have. In other words, be about my business, obey with what you have, with what I've already given you, and as you do that, I will be with you. And as you proceed in obedience, my presence in you will supply whatever you lack, but start with what you've got. That is a great word for the church. Because there are so many of us that say, you know, Lord, if I'd have won the lottery, I'd have taken care of all of this. And the Lord says, I have given you life and breath and provision. Start with what you have. Give me what you got, and then we'll walk in provision together. In fact, one of the things that I love about the story of the, the raising of Lazarus, and I, I want to read just a portion of this out of John 11. It says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb, and it was a cave with a stone laid across it. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Martha said, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. He's been dead four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you, if you believed, you will see the glory of God. So they took the stone away. And you know how the rest of the story goes. He calls Lazarus out from the dead. Do you know that the key to this entire miracle was not so much Jesus calling Lazarus from the dead as it was two sisters that decided to believe God to do something before He did a miracle. They could easily have said, no, we're not rolling the stone away, and they would have missed out on the glory of God. I want you to know that God is standing with each of us in our lives, and whatever stone it may represent, He's saying, if you will roll away the stone, you will see my glory, but you start by standing in front of a stone that looks too big to roll away. The story of raising Lazarus from the dead started with two girls acting in the strength that they did have and the decisions that they could make. You see, if you wait for perfect circumstances, you will never do something significant for God because perfect circumstances never come. You will never have all of the money you think you need to be generous. You will never be at the right time where something is not concerning you in your life. But God said that if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. In other words, the partnership of him living in us, us living in obedience to him, produces something in us that gives him the glory. You start with where you're at. So go in the strength that you have and act on the faith that you do have. Secondly, we see in this when God's plan meets our preparation I want to highlight a portion of a glorious future, the story continues theme, when it says this, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. 
There are more instances, and I'm, I'm going to be really vulnerable with you. There are more instances in my prayer life where I have told the Lord, I know the plans I have made, O Lord, for you, if you would just bless them. And none of you can ever say that you didn't pray that prayer. Lord, I know the plans I've made. It's going to work out good for both of us if you'll just come through. And God constantly reminds us in Scripture and in our spirit that He is the plan maker and that we are the people that are chosen to carry out His plan. And once Gideon had gotten to this place where he accepted that God was calling him to do something significant, once God began to say to him, Gideon, I'm, I put something in your life that I am calling out of you now. Once he began to believe that, he did something that was very wise. He said, Lord, I need you to confirm to me what I feel your Spirit is saying to me. In fact, it tells us in verse 17, and I, I love the way that this is put in the NLT version. Gideon says, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign. Listen, Lord, I believe you, but can I have just a little confirmation? Can I tell you that confirmation is not a bad thing? In other words, I will follow your plan and I will do what you ask because I, I really want to do this. But what happened is Gideon began to think of all of the worst-case scenarios in his mind. He says, because if I am missing God on this, I'm going to die. And in that, there comes a lesson for us. Because I don't know about you, but chances are one of the first things that comes to our minds about things is the worst-case scenario. And so he tells the Lord... The angel Lord, you stay right here. I'm going to run and prepare an offering of meat and flour and bread. And he puts it on a rock and he pours broth on it. And the angel of the Lord touches that with his stick and the staff. And the fire, the fire devours it. And instantly, Gideon was given a sense of confirmation that God was about to do something. Folks, if we look at the miracles that have taken place to get us to this point, we can't help but understand that the fire of God is at work already. Miracles are taking place, and all we have to do is follow in the confirmation that God is leading us in. And so there was the offering of confirmation. After that, he said, then the Lord told him, I want you to give me another offering, but this time... I want you to tear down the altar to Baal, break the Asherah pole, which, by the way, was this huge thing right in the middle of the town. It was, it was not something that you could do without everybody understanding it. In fact, his obedience to this caused him such fear that he decided to obey God, but I'm going to do it after dark when nobody's around. So when they wake up in the morning, it's just gone, and then they can yell about it, which they did. And then God said, build me a proper altar and offer a prized bull to the Lord. God called for a complete consecration, and this was to cleanse his family for the blessing that was going to come. In the middle of this for each of us, there's going to come a moment where we have to consecrate what we have to the Lord so that God can begin to bring a blessing to our families. And after this offering of consecration, he said, thank you, Lord, for what you have done, but can we just run a couple more things through? How about... There's only going to be dew on the fleece in the morning, and there'll be dry ground all around. Then I will know. Then I will have no doubt it's you. And God did that. He goes, okay, I told you I, I would know, but I need one more. I need one more. How about the fleece being dry, the ground being wet, and then I will know, and that happened. Listen, having confidence in the plan of God is important for you and I as well. 
There are some that look at this and say, you know, I feel as if Gideon was, was expressing weak faith when he was asking for a sign. I believe that there was actually deep reverence in his request because here's what I want you to notice. Gideon was seeking for confirmation from God, not man. Here is one of the dangers that we have, particularly as Pentecostal people, and, and we are a Pentecostal church, is that there are times when people will come to the altar and they will ask an altar worker, I need a prophetic word over me. In other words, I'm seeking a confirmation from you rather than God. I need you to tell me what to do. I'm hoping that your relationship with God is strong enough to give me direction in this. Gideon said, no, 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 no. I'm going to God for confirmation. Any prophetic word that you receive needs to confirm something that God has already spoken to you about and not be the direction to your life. And so he sought God. We must be certain that when we move in faith, it's at the direction of God. And be certain of this, that whatever God asks of you will require a walk of faith in you, but He will confirm it through His Word and through prayer, which is why we will bathe this thing in prayer. And it's evident from the beginning of chapter 7 that Gideon finally, after all these confirming signs, accepts the call of God into divine service. And it said that after that, the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. Can I just tell you something? I love listening to this church worship because I can sense the Spirit of the Lord beginning to descend on every heart. And I know that some of you are singing songs and the words that you're singing are a prayer from your heart and God begins to respond in that. I'm looking for a church where the power of the Holy Spirit rests upon each of us that everywhere we go, people look at you and say, there's something different about you because the Spirit of the Lord is resting upon you and the anointing of God upon you will change the hearts of those around you. The Spirit of the Lord rested on Gideon so much that all he needed to do when he wanted to create an offering, the Bible says, is to blow a trumpet and 32,000 men showed up to be an army. Gideon knew that humanly speaking, what God was asking him to do was humanly impossible. And so he begins to prepare an army as big as he possibly can. And when his preparation intersected God's plan, then the path to victory began to glow clearer. But when God began to speak to him, God looked at this and said to him, Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver the Midianites into their hands. How many of you know God is not going to share His glory with any of us? Not with any of us. I don't know what you may or may not do, but I want you to know that whatever you do, God alone will receive the glory for it. He said, if you win this with the army that you have, they are going to think that it was their power that did this. There was a smugness that was, that was about to rise up within them. And so God leads them through a series of tests. Now, I want you to know that God leads all of us through series of tests within our life. The first test that He put them through was the test of fearlessness. He said, here's the thing. Out of 32,000 men, I want you to ask them, how many of you are afraid? You tremble when you think about the battle that's coming because the army is so large. 22,000 men got up and went back home, jumped up and left. Fear is contagious. Think about that. Fear is contagious. Now, Gideon is sitting there and he only has... 10,000 that are remaining, and God told Gideon, there are still too many. Now, if I'm Gideon, I'm going, come on, God. You just took 
two-thirds of my army and sent them home because they were a little afraid. He goes, yep, still too many. Now I want you to take them down to the water, and I'm going to test them. I will sift them for you. And it gave them a test of fervency. And in that is really important because there was a secret test that they didn't even know they were going through. I want you to know that there are times in your life that you are going through things and you don't understand them, and it's a secret test of the Lord. Because how you respond to that test, how you respond in the middle of it will determine whether or not you will walk in the blessing of the Lord in the future or whether you will have to remain at whatever level of spiritual growth you are at. It's in the secret test, in things that we don't understand that we need to understand. God is at work within our life, and our prayer should be, Lord, whatever I'm supposed to learn in this, let me learn it now so that I can grow through this. And Gideon was to watch how the men drank. He said, some of these men are going to run to the water and they're going to fall down and throw throw their faces into the water and just begin to gulp it from the stream. Others of them, he said, are going to come and they're going to be cautious and they're going to kneel down and they're going to dip water out with their hand and they're going to lap it like a dog is the way the Scripture describes it. And it was a secret test to reveal the ones that had an understanding that even though they were in an army together, they were never out of danger and they were cautious about the way they approached things. And the result was the Lord's judgment. 300 men lapped, and he said, that's the army that I will save you by. God always wants us to have a deep understanding of the enemy that we are fighting. Listen, as you look at this page 6 and 7 of of, of your book that you have here, we live in a population of 661,000 people. We live in a poor county where 31% of them are are under the poverty rate and, and... We see all of this and we recognize that we are living in in a city that is the 15th on the list of the biblically least illiterate cities in America. We are living in in, in a mission field and we know and Satan knows that when we make this move, his city is about to crumble under the power of God and he is going to fight against us. We know that there's going to be a fight. Because he is going to have to give up land that he has had for a hundred years. And in the name of Jesus, victory is about to come. And he wants us to be understanding that we have an enemy. And so God tests us when we're unaware. One of the tests that comes to each of us, as we go through the glorious future, the story continues, initiative, it's going to test each of us. Because many of us consider the worst-case scenario. And I know this for a fact. Here's what happens. You begin to think about what this is going to require of us, and, and the first thing that you think is, Lord, what happens if after I give, I don't have enough? What happens if after I give, I don't have enough? Or, Lord, what happens if if I walk in obedience and I give something to you and you don't respond in the way that I think you should because some of you are thinking, if I give this much, then God, here's what I expect in return from you. I expect this kind of a blessing. I expect this much of the favor of the Lord. I expect this. And so we have this idea that what happens if I give it and God doesn't do His part in the way that I want Him to? Or... So much of our security is found in what I've accumulated. What if after giving it to the Lord, something happens and I need that money? Then what are you going to do, Lord? 
Then what are you going to do? And so we approach this much like Gideon when he was hiding in the hole. We approach this from a place of fear. Lord Jesus, I'm fearful that what you ask me to do is going to be more than I can do. I want to obey you, God, but I don't know if I can trust you more than I can trust myself to create my own supply. And I believe that everybody here and those of you that are online want to participate in a significant way to moving God's kingdom forward. And the test of trust comes when we recognize that what God may be asking us to do, listen closely, appears to severely compromise our own ability to provide protection financially for ourselves. Let me repeat that. The test of trust comes when we recognize that what God may be asking us to do appears to severely compromise our own ability to provide financial protection for ourselves. Gideon, according to Scripture, was directed by God to dramatically decrease the odds of his own personal security. Lord, I have 32,000 men. You left me with 300 It looks like I'm going to die. And God says, no, I'm decreasing your personal security so that I can get the glory and everybody knows I did it and not you. And Gideon's response to all of the what-if fears that he has are recorded in verse 23. He says, but the Lord said to him, this is how God responded to Gideon's what-ifs. Peace. Peace. Do not be afraid. Gideon goes, I'm standing in a hole, hiding my lunch. You called me a mighty warrior. You said, I'm going to do all these things. Then I did them, and you took my army, and you cut it down to 300 people, and and now you're saying, peace? And God said, yeah. There comes this moment for each of us when I don't know about you, but obedience to the Lord gives us the ability to sleep well at night. I can tell you that there will be moments in time when you're going to say, Lord, I I feel that this is what you're directing, and wow. And until that obedience takes place, you don't know what's going to happen. And then after you do, the fears, the what-if fears that the enemy has been whispering in your ear are broken, and God just says, peace. I speak peace. And he says, and don't be afraid. And then he tells Gideon, you're not going to die. In other words... In my vernacular, chill, dude, I got this. It's God you're talking to. I've got this. And this is where our desires are tried and tested. I also need to make this point because this is important as well because I've recognized in some conversations with some of you that this has come up. It is important for you to know that you are not negotiating nor are you buying God's blessing with our giving. You're not saying, God, I'll do this if. I'm not going to negotiate, you know, a, a deal with God that if I am this generous, then God, this is what I expect. You don't negotiate with God. We gain God's blessings through our obedience, not negotiation. 
So when you step out in faith in partnership with God, he will give you a marker of his faithfulness in your life when he says this, when you sow in faith, you will reap in peace. It's only in your obedience that that peace comes. I'm going to sow in faith, you'll reap in peace. This is the reason why I'm asking you to please spend so much time in prayer together with one another. God, we need to know what you want us to do. We want to step into your plan. We want to know how you want to do it because God is no respecter of person. He will continually confirm to you and give you peace for what he wants to do because he's got a God-sized plan and he's got God-sized desires for you. And if you obey, you walk in the blessing of the Lord. You don't negotiate it. God is no respecter of persons, but he does respect our preparation because there's a principle of God here. Your preparation is an act of believing faith for his divine blessing. Human responsibility always comes before supernatural provision. As we do our part on earth, God does his part in heaven. As we position ourselves in obedience, God sends the victory. I can't do God's part, and God won't do your part. Am I positioning myself to serve God's purpose and not my own? And when you answer these questions, it brings us to the last part, the benefits of partnership. Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? And the Lord said, I will be with you. You will strike down the Midianites together. There's a way that that is interpreted which indicates that the Midianite army would be reduced to a place where defeating that army would be like defeating one soldier. In other words, I'm going to diminish the obstacles as I elevate your power. And what happens next for Gideon is epic. With the number of his army reduced to 300 men, God had finally positioned him just where he needed him. And the only word to describe him is vulnerable. Victory is gained not by self-confidence, but by God-confidence. We need to learn the lesson of dependence so that we can move on to the lesson of confidence. And here's the way the battle played out. Here's the army. Gideon, divide these 300 men into three companies. Well, what about their armor? Here's what I want. He put a trumpet in every man's hand with an empty pitcher and a lamp on the inside of that pitcher. Well, God, what's the strategy? The people are to keep their eyes on you, Gideon. And he said, watch me and follow my lead. Then how is the attack supposed to take place? He said, it's a cry. And here's what I want you to yell. The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Partnership together in that. And the battle. The 300 people followed Gideon's battle cry. They blew their trumpets. They broke their pitchers in their hands. They held the lamps up in their left hands. And they yelled, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. We're in partnership with God in this. And the irony of this whole battle is this. They yelled, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. But Gideon and his men had no swords. In fact, the only swords that are mentioned in this entire account are of the people that they were about to attack. And it says that the Lord had every man turn on their own people with their swords, and they begin to destroy one another. What an epic description of partnership with God when he brings you to a place of vulnerability so that what he does gives him all of the glory and the victory is won, and Gideon and his people got to live in that victory. 
What is next for Grace Assembly is just as epic. We are now in a time where the destiny of our church and the destiny of our lives are at a crossroads. There is no doubt in my mind that we are living in the miracle power of God. The miracle power of God. We are seeing this right in front of our eyes and it becomes a confirmation again and again whenever we hesitate. Lord, how do we know you're in this? I'm giving you two buildings. Okay, that was yesterday. We got to remodel these things. Yes, I know. Lord, how do we know you're in this? You're moving from a location where the only way people know where you are is from a restaurant across the street to the main street of town. I'm putting you right in the center of the heart of the community so that my heartbeat through that church can reach the lost hearts of our community. How do we know, God? Because it's epic what God is doing. Our progress in a glorious future, the story continues, will go no farther than our obedience will take us. And so this is what it says in Philippians 4.13 when it speaks of partnership. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. I can do anything. Do you notice how it starts with where you're at? And then you work through the one who provides you the strength that says, He gives me. I'm glad our God is a giver. He's a giver. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. I'm going to ask that you would put the pledge card up on the screen. For those of you that are joining us online, you can go to our, our, our website and there is a book there that you can work through. I don't want you to do anything with this except I want to just introduce it to you today because we will be dealing with this on December the 3rd. But as you pray and as God begins to lead you and guide you and what your part might be within this, I want you to see that there's a guide for giving for how God may want to, to use you in all of these things. I will tell you this. The more money that we can get on the first fruits offering, the more cash that we can get that day, the quicker that we can get this building going so that we can get in. I want you to be aware of that. But as you look through this, I can tell you that God will lead you to places that you didn't think that you could go. But he says, I just need you to obey and then watch how I provide. Cindy and I have been praying about this for weeks. Just this past week, we stood in our kitchen, just put our arms around each other, and we just prayed. We said, God, we know that something significant is happening here. Why you have allowed us to be chosen to lead it at this particular time, I don't know, but I'm so grateful. And I don't want our disobedience to lock us out of what you were wanting to do. And we talked a lot, and we prayed a lot. And I'm going to share with you what we feel God leading us to do, not, not for any other reason except that you need to know that your leaders are all in. We will not ask you to sacrifice at a level that we ourselves are not willing to sacrifice. But God is directing us to give $50,000 to this campaign over the next three years. That's above our tithe, above our missions giving. It's just because God has said, this is what I'm going to do and we together have agreed, Lord, if you said it, then we know that you're going to provide it. You just need to know we are all in, and I don't want to miss 
what God is doing. This is the largest gift we've ever given in our lives. But we're not going to miss out because I don't want to be the generation that says no to start to stop a movement. I'm going to ask if you would please, would, would, would you just bow your heads with me and close your eyes if you would. Father, we so desperately want to see your will accomplished. We so desperately want to be a part of what you are doing. And I know that there are those that are here today, and some of them are brand new, and they're just entering in, and they're going, what in the world's going on? There are, there are hundreds that are watching online right now that are part of our congregation that I've never had a chance to embrace and encounter yet. That are, But Lord, you're dealing with every heart. And what we do know is that what you're going to do, you will not share your glory with any of us. What you have done to this point is absolutely miraculous, which confirms to us that we are walking in your will. And I ask, O Lord, that you would guide and direct each and every heart over these next three weeks as we pray and as we seek God, because God, you're not required to bless anything that you don't direct in our hearts. If we come up with a figure without praying, you're not required to bless that because it may not be you. So, Lord, would you stretch us in the secret tests of our own life? In this moment, we pray. I'm going to ask that you would stand with me this morning. I'm, I, I was able to do something in the first service that I'm not going to be able to do in the second service, and that was that I had everybody come and stand around the altar, and there's no possible way that's going to happen today. We need a new building. In fact, there were more people that came to these two services today than we could hold in one service at the other building. Just want you to know that. Whew. Do you sense the heartbeat of God? That He's up to something? When you put, when you put those prayer requests on that board today, you need to know those people have no idea that we are bombarding heaven on their behalf. They have no idea that we are unleashing the army of angels to surround them and bring their life into circumstances where they have to make a decision again. And if they say no, then we're going to keep praying again. And if they say no, they're going to keep praying again because at one point they're going to come to a place where their defenses are down and they're going to say, I've done all I can do. All I need now is Jesus. We're going to believe that together. Some of you are here today because of a praying grandmother. Some of you are alive today because they prayed your deepest, darkest moments away from you. And God says, I am presenting you an opportunity. Partner with me and watch or step away and miss. I am determined that we're going to take ground together as a church. If you're with me in this partnership, would you just raise your hand so that I can pray for you and pray a dedication prayer? Lord, there are those that have lifted their hands and there are those that in all honesty have not because they are trying to count the cost. You know how to deal with each of us, those that are willing and those that are not. Those that think they can do something and those that say, my circumstances are in such a way, there's nothing I can do. God... I pray that over these next three weeks as we talk about some of the creative things that you have done that you will begin to open doors of our understanding to see that there's a place for every one of us, a role that each of us can play. 
But Lord, I raise my hand. I want partnership with you. It means that we're vulnerable. It means that we decrease our own security so that you alone have the opportunity to show the greatness of your presence and speak peace when we obey. And so, Lord, in this room today are people that are hungry to walk in obedience. Honor us, I pray, as we honor you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 